0: Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by listening in, and we're grateful for you. Um, Before we begin, I just want to encourage you to not let this podcast replace the local church in your life. God has designed it so that we are to join a local church and serve that body of believers and be shepherded by the pastor of that church. And that's something no podcast can give you. And so if you're not involved in a local church, let me encourage you to find one as soon as possible. Enjoy our podcast. Revelation chapter four, we're going to do chapters four and five tonight. Uh, They're shorter than last week. I know last week I read two complete chapters to you. These two chapters are, are shorter than those two chapters. Um... Revelation 4 and 5, this is when we start getting into all the crazy stuff, the lions and the bears and the dragons and all that stuff. So um, we're going to do chapter 4 and then halfway through the night we're going to get to chapter 5. It's all one vision together. Um, You know, history seems to be out of control, doesn't it? Um, It's become a joke. Uh, that 2020 has had one crazy thing right after another. Um, So many things have happened that you may not even remember all of them that have happened this year. Um, Whether it's the pandemic of COVID-19 or the riots in the streets, the Saharan dust cloud, you remember that one? Uh, Hurricanes, murder hornets, you remember those? We remember them, we never saw them though. Um, I think there were three murder hornets in all the United States. you know, wildfires in Australia. Um, California's sky was lit up like a post-apocalyptic movie. Um, We've seen a lot of, um, probably doesn't matter to some of us, but, but you know, we've seen Kobe Bryant and Van Halen and Little Richard and Regis Philbin die. All kinds of celebrities have died. Our president faced an impeachment trial this year Um, And and to add to that, we have a really nasty election season on both sides, right around the corner. Um, If you just look at 2020, it seems like history is out of control, like our planet is literally spinning around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour, and nobody's driving. Christians in the first century, when, when Revelation was written, would have felt this too. They would have felt this. Um, as they watched their families and friends be taken away from them in persecution, as their pastors were murdered publicly for all to see, as the houses they met in for worship were burned down. And that's just related to their churches. Um, It was also a time of riots and political upheaval and so many other things. Um, So what Jesus shows the churches in Revelation, these things are speaking to those moments in the first century, and also to us, as it seems like history's out of control. So the question for tonight is, is it? Is history out of control? So Revelation four, I'm gonna read chapter four, we're gonna talk about chapter four, and then we'll get to chapter five. Revelation chapter four. After this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven, Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the thrones were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes, in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes, all around and within. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Um, I've told you pretty much every night that we've looked at this. Revelation, I think, takes place in sections and cycles. Each of these cycles of time end with the second coming of Jesus. Um, we're mostly working through the book section by section, each section each night. Um, but, but this section, we're actually gonna cover in two nights. Um, so the section we've just entered is chapters four, chapter four, one through eight, four. That's kind of the, the section that we're looking at. Um, we're looking at chapters four and five tonight. We'll look at six, seven, and then the first four verses of eight next time. Um, so immediately Jesus shows the churches a vision. He shows them that there's someone on the throne. There's someone reigning on the throne. They would have been very familiar with thrones. They had seen rulers rule from thrones, and those people were vicious. Remember I told you about Domitian, just a really ugly guy, loved to um, be worshipped by people, persecuted Christians. But even worse than Domitian, a few decades before, they would have had Nero, Nero. Many of these people would have been alive when Nero was alive. Nero was the worst Roman emperor. <clears throat> he died in 68 AD. He actually, uh, I'm gonna have to fact check this. He, he, he set the Roman city on fire and blamed Christians for it. Um, I, I can't remember, I'm pretty sure he's the one that started the fire, but he definitely blamed Christians for it. Um, he died in 68 AD and he was even more vile toward the church than Domitian was. Um, We'll talk more about Nero when we get to Revelation 13 because I actually think a lot of the imagery for the beast in Revelation 13 and the mark of the beast comes from Nero, so that they would have understood it. Um, So we'll talk about that when we get there. But we're familiar with thrones as well, aren't we? Um, You know, I am so glad we enter single digits tomorrow until this election season is over because I'm just tired of political ads. I'm tired of everyone telling me how much John Ossoff cares about me. You know, I'm tired of hearing about how terribly President Trump responded to COVID. Um, I'm tired of people making fun of the fact that Joe Biden clearly has dementia. Because for the vast majority of politicians, they just want power. They just want power. They they just want to be on the throne. And they're willing to belittle and scrutinize one another in any way to make sure they get on that throne because the human heart craves power. We crave to be on the throne and we seek to get it however we can, whether that is a high um, political throne, whether that is walking on a coworker to get the promotion instead of them, whether that is how one spouse treats the other one badly because they want to be powerful. Everyone wants to be on the throne, but there's only one throne. There's only one. There's someone on that throne, and that's what Revelation 4 is showing us. The word throne um, appears 40 times in the book of Revelation. 17 of those times are in chapters 4 and 5. It's showing us the throne. The one on this throne is obviously God. It, it never specifically calls well, actually it. Well, it actually does in the hymns. Um, it's, it's God on the throne, um, but, but as we work through these two chapters, we actually see the entire trinity here. We see God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'm going to show you where those spots pop up. It's God the Father on the throne. Um, look at how he's described. Verse 3. He sat there. He had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around his throne there was a rainbow, and it had the appearance of emerald... Um, it's just all these precious stones, all these beautiful, um, beautiful stones, and then there's a rainbow around it. It's just this stunning image. Um, if you're familiar with, um, it, go, go back at some point and read Ezekiel chapter 1, Isaiah 6 and Daniel 7. We're going to look at Daniel 7 in a minute, but uh, you, you're probably familiar with Isaiah 6. Isaiah sees heaven open. God is there. Uh, he falls down on his face and says, woe is me. Um, The the, the angels are worshiping. Um, It's when Isaiah gets commissioned. Ezekiel has a similar um, scene in in Ezekiel chapter 1. Each of these is a heavenly vision. And it's very clear John is bringing a lot of the imagery from those three scenes into chapter 4 here to describe it. Um, And this is just stunning. The picture of God is stunning in glory and radiance. You literally can't take in how incredible it is at, as it is described. We see his greatness and grandeur. Then we go to verse 4. There's 24 elders around the throne. Um, who are these people? Well, many people immediately think, okay, the Old Testament, there's 12 tribes of Israel. New Testament, there's 12 apostles, 12 plus 12, 24. That must be who it is. Um, But remember, we can't add anything to this book. Um, That's definitely going to come up in Revelation 21 when we see the New Jerusalem. Those two groups are gonna be there. But this just says 24, it doesn't say two groups of 12. Um, It's it's 24 elders. Um, It's probably more likely a reference to 1 Chronicles 24 um, through 26. There we see David set up his kingdom, set up his, his throne, his castle, and he has 24 priests. He has 24 gatekeepers and he has 24 worship leaders, probably a reference to that. Um, All these are organized by David um, and they're drawing from that imagery here. God has that um, eternal throne that that David's throne was just a picture of. Um, And then you see verse 5, from the throne comes lightning and thunder. There's just this power, fire blowing out of it and thunder and lightning. It's just this flashy, powerful show. Um, and it's just God is powerful, and it's all flashing brightly to show his power over everything. It conveys the idea of, of God working. He's working. It's something like if you picture like a, like a scientist standing around his little operating table, you know, doing stuff, and like lights are shooting off and everything. Like it's, it's something like that, but much greater. And on top of that, it reminds you of um, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai. You remember he went up to get the law the cloud descended, all the people of Israel are down waiting for him. And it's just lightning up there and and they're wondering, oh my goodness, what's going on? It's kind of what's going on here. And then you see verse five, the seven spirits, seven spirits of God. Um, You remember the number seven represents wholeness. Um, And so this is um, probably referencing the Holy Spirit moving around the throne, um, seeking to make it look more beautiful. and then you see a sea of glass, verse 6. What does a sea of glass do? Well, it reflects the glory out to the world. The glory of God is shining onto this and reflecting to the world. Now, all of that together, we're, we're not even sure where to go with that because, frankly, this throne room is filled with magnificent colors, flashes of lightning and powerful sounds because God's presence is too glorious to describe. John's trying to describe the undescribable and it's very difficult to do. Um, This is the one who sits on a higher throne. This, This one being on the throne, he sits on a higher throne than the emperor of Rome. He sits on a higher throne than the king of England and he sits on a higher throne than the president of the United States. This is the one on the throne of eternity. Then we see around the throne. We saw on the throne. Now, what's going on around the throne? That's verses 7 through 11. There's four living creatures. We get into the descriptions of who they are. Um, I referenced Ezekiel 1 earlier. There's four living creatures in Ezekiel 1 that are around God's throne. Um, They don't have the same faces as described here. Um, They they have a couple of the same ones, but not all of the same ones. Um, But also, you see they have six wings. Verse 8. So you know, in Isaiah six, if you're familiar, the angels, the seraphim fly around the throne. They have six wings, two they fly, two of them they cover their face and two of them they cover their feet. They have six wings. John brings together those seraphim in Isaiah six and the four living creatures in in, in Ezekiel one. He brings them together as one being around the throne, one set of people. These things have eyes in the front and back, just simply the idea they can see everywhere, That they, they, they can see all around. Um, they have faces like a lion, ox, man, and eagle. It's just simply meant to carry the idea that this is the created order, it's all created things, worshipping the one on the throne. Um, I don't think we're meant to see these creatures as, as this is literally what they look like, because th- honestly, this kind of looks like A creature Will Smith might have killed in men in black like I I just don't think that's what's around the throne I think it's pointing theological truth in its symbols Um, and then we come to verse what's in verse 8 they sing a song to God over chapters 4 and 5 we're gonna see five songs sung to God we'll we'll look at each one of them Um, but but they sing a song to God they never stop singing this Holy, holy holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The song focuses on God's holiness and, and the fact that he goes on forever, he, his eternity. He was always in existence and he will always be in existence. So first is holiness. It says holy, holy, holy. God's holiness is his most important quality. Notice this is not love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty or good, good, good is the Lord God Almighty. It's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holiness encompasses all that God is, everything about who he is. And understand why it repeats three times. They, they didn't have different endings to words like we do. You know, if I'm describing, you know, if I have, you know, three different guys and I'm trying to describe which one of them, you know, rank them and, and how holy they are, I would say, okay, Bill is holy, John is holier, Steve is holiest. Like that, that's how I would do it. I would use that, those endings on the word. They didn't have that. So when you say holy, 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 you're saying holiest. Like you are, you're conveying that there's no one holier than this person. Um, they would repeat the word. God is holy to the max is what it's saying. And then his eternality, his his expanding for all of time. He was, he is, and he is to come. God has always existed. Can you even wrap your mind around that? Like long before we existed, long before I was born, long before my, you know, farthest back ancestor was born, which was, of course, the same as your farthest back ancestor, long before he was born, long before there was ever a single star in the galaxy, God existed, and long before that, and long before that, and long before that, and long before that. Can't even wrap my head around that. I can't do that. And that's the point. You're not meant to be able to understand it. You're meant to stand in awe of it and know that there's something bigger than you. they never stop singing this song. They never cease to say this song. So remember that. When we gather for church next Sunday morning, remember that. When we sing in this room or wherever else we sing, we're we're singing, we're joining with the song of these angels who never stop singing that God is holy. So sing, recognize that when you sing. You know, don't sing because it's just some tradition. Don't sing bored. Sing knowing you're literally joining the angels worshiping God. The second hymn they come to. We saw the first one in verse 8. Now verse 11. The 24 elders come up and they fall down and worship. They sing another song. Um, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power... For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. God is worthy, they say. He's worthy because he created everything. He created heaven. He created space and all the galaxies and all the stars and all the planets within them. He created all those things. He created the earth and everything on it. He created oceans next time you stand on the beach, God created that vast ocean. He created trees. He created grass. Like Who comes up with something as wonderful as grass? He created oxygen that as you take a breath right now, God created that. He created gravity so that when you jump, you come back down. He created giraffes he created caterpillars, he created caterpillars that turn into butterflies, like he created waterfalls and sunsets, and, and he created every person who has ever lived on planet Earth, from Adam, to Moses, to David, to Paul, to George Washington, to Abraham Lincoln, to your great-grandfather, to your grandfather, to your mother and father, and to you, and to everyone who's going to come from your line one day. He, he He created all those people, and think about the fact that they, they literally all have different faces. That every created person literally has a different face. It's not like there's four or five faces that God chooses. He's got like a face, and he's got like hairstyles and hair colors, and he just kind of, you know, forms different people, and some of them have face number one, and hairstyle number three, and face number two, and hairstyle number, no. Like, every person he creates, they look different every single one of them he is worthy for this because nobody else could have done this and God created history everything that's ever happened started because God created it it it, it began when he created and it continues on so why does it seem like history is so out of whack why does it seem like nobody's flying the plane well, perhaps he's the God of deism. You may not know what deism is. Um, deism is a, is, a, is a way of viewing God that basically um, has this idea that God isn't involved in his creation. Have you ever taken a, a spinning top, you set it on a table, and you spun it, and you just step back, and you waited, and eventually it starts going out of crazy, and it just falls off the table? A deist believes God did that when he created. He just... Created, he spun the top, and now he's just hands off, waiting for it to collapse. That's not the God of the Bible. It, it, they, they think it's just a spinning top. Um, it's said actually that a lot of American Christians are actually deists. Um, there's pretty good evidence that Benjamin Franklin was a deist. Um, but the question is, is deism correct? Is that how God did things? Well, that's for that answer. We have to go to chapter five. So look at chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Then I saw, this is still the same vision, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. So God has a scroll in his right hand. In this, you remember the right hand is the hand of control. He's got this scroll. um, And what is this scroll? We're gonna get into that more when we get to chapter six and seven on November 8th, next time we meet. Um, it's a it's a scroll it has seven seals seven wax seals on it Um, and we'll get more into it but but I'll just give you the answer of what I think I I think this this scroll represents all of history and we'll get into that in chapter six as we see it get open but but I think it's it's showing all of history Um, uh, the viewpoint of some is that it's just a this just the first set of seven judgments in the tribulation period I think it's all of history And I think um, everything is contained in it as far as history goes. So history's tied up in this scroll completely. It's got everything in it. It's got the history of every nation on the planet in it. And God has it in his hand and all of heaven cries out, who is worthy to open the scroll? Who? And no one in heaven or on earth is found to be able to open it, nobody. So I guess it's true then. I guess 2020 is right. I guess history is out of control. We're completely up to chance of if we're going to have a better future than 2020 or not. I guess it really is up to President Trump or Joe Biden. I guess our hand really is in the hands of a giant meteorite hitting the earth and destroying us all. I guess we really do have to fear that maybe one day the earth will break off its axis and go flying into the sun and incinerate us all. So when John sees nobody's found worthy to open the scroll to take control of history, he falls down and weeps. There's really no hope, no future. History is chaos and we should weep as well. But then a voice cries out to John, verse 5. Let's read the rest of the chapter, verse 5. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints." And they sang a new song, a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the, and the living creatures forever and ever, and the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Wow. So John is down. There's no hope for the future. Nothing. And he's weeping. Well, what do we do? What do we do? It really is in the hands of Domitian the emperor. That's our future. And one of the elders says, stop crying. Behold, there, there is one who can take the scroll. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Look over there. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the root of David. His bloodline is of Judah and, and, and of David. 2 Samuel 7 said that a king would rule on David's throne forever from the line of Judah, which is where David was from. So that in this case it's a lion so he looks over he sees a lion this lion has conquered the 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 lion has ripped his enemies apart with his ferocious claws he can actually take control of history John is told he has conquered and John looks over to see the lion of Judah and what does he see he he sees a lamb John turns and looks expecting to see Mufasa and, and he sees a lamb He sees a lamb. You call this in biblical theology, the old switcheroo. It's it's the lamb. He he thought he'd see a lion. He sees a lamb. The lamb looks like it's been slaughtered, but it's standing. That is, it it looks like someone just took the, the blade and killed it for Passover to bleed its blood out all over the altar. It's all covered in, you know, it's white white wool, but it's got blood all over it. It looks like it's been slaughtered, but it's standing victorious. It's got seven horns. Understand in Revelation, horns always represent power and authority. The beast in Revelation 13 is gonna have a couple horns. Um, but, but Jesus, uh, this, this, this lamb has seven horns. Seven, remember the number of, of completion. He's got all authority says he's got seven eyes, which are the seven spirits. He sent the spirits out into the world. Um, he, he sent the Holy Spirit out into the world. Pause one second, go back to Daniel 7. We read this a couple weeks ago, but I don't know that there's another passage in the Old Testament more, um, more important to Revelation than Daniel 7. So I want to read it again. Daniel 7. Verses nine through 12, nine through 14. As I looked, thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before it. A thousand thousands served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words of that horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Especially verses 13 and 14, because we just read it in Revelation chapter 5. The Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days. He's given all authority. The Lamb comes to the one on the throne and gets the, gets the scroll, all of history in his Hand. So what do we know about this lamb? Well, we know he's described as a conquering lion, but we know that he's a, a lamb that's been slain but standing alive. We know he has all authority. We know he sent the Holy Spirit into the world, and we know he does the same thing as the Son of Man. So who is this lamb? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's what he's trying to tell us. It's Jesus. We have God the Father on the throne. We have Jesus the Lamb. And we have the Holy Spirit sent out here. This is the first time in Revelation that we see John use this literary device that I love so much as you're reading Revelation. Um, look at, well, it's verse 5 and 6. Um, John hears something, he's told something. Look, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's told one thing, and he looks, and he sees something completely different. It's like he's told you're gonna see a lion, he looks and he sees a lamb. John is gonna, this is gonna happen several times in Revelation, we'll look at them as we get to them, but it's it's always symbolic, meant to present some kind of deep truth. Jesus has conquered like a lion. How did he do that? Well, not by pulling a sword out and killing his enemies. He he is conquered by becoming a slain lamb. He was slaughtered and he came back to life and he stood alive. He conquered by surrendering. He didn't just forgive your sins on the cross, praise God he did that, but he also took control of the entire universe. He took the scroll when he rose from the dead. He took control of history. Jesus takes the scroll. And you can imagine all of heaven, and John included, standing there and looking up at this lamb and staring at it. And everyone has just been told, there's no hope for history. There's no hope. All hope is lost. And here comes this lamb up to God. And he reaches out and he takes the scroll. He takes history. Why? Because he's worthy. He's the only one worthy to do it. It's not that he's the only one able. Anybody can grab a scroll, but he's the only one worthy to do it. Jesus now holds history in his hand, and he will unfold history as he opens the seals of the scroll. We'll get to that next time. Everyone sees him do this and falls down to worship him. They sing a new song, verse 9. They sing a new song. Why is it a new song? Well, because Jesus conquering through his death and resurrection is a new act. There's, there was no song about it before it happened. It's a new song. So I said there's five hymns. We looked at the first two in chapter 4. There's three more in chapter 5. That's, that's what we'll finish out with is looking at those three hymns. The first one, the 24 elders fall down, verse 8. They fall down to sing this song. Um, they praise the lamb for what he's done because he was slain. He, that is, he died on the cross. He made atonement for sin and he purchased men for God. He ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Jesus purchased people with his blood. He made a ransom for their sins. It's, it's people of all Tribes, languages, peoples, and nation. That's a phrase that's going to pop up in Revelation a lot. It's people from all over the world. He saved people from every tribe, every nation. He saved Israelites. He saved Americans, Hispanics, Africans, Arabians, people in the rainforest who nobody even knows about. And... uh, So in seminary, I had to write this, we had to pick a group of people in the world, and it was a missionary class, and we had to basically pick a a group of people in the world and write a paper about how we would reach them with the gospel if we were um, a missionary to them. What would we do? And of course, wanting a challenge, I decided to pick the hardest people group on the planet. Um, there's There's a... Small island off the coast of, I believe, Madagascar. I'd have to go look at the paper again. It might be India. I can't remember. Um, It's called the North Sentinel Island. Um, Nobody's ever made contact with this island. There's a group of people on it. Pretty much, you know, cavemen. um, Group of people on it. Nobody's ever been able to make contact with them because every time someone has tried to go visit them, they've been speared to death. Every single time. There was one time that somebody got out and shared some food with them, but they weren't able to stay. They had to get off the island. So nobody's been able to reach this. Nobody's been able to get in contact with these people. We don't know their language. We don't know their culture. We don't know anything about them. And I chose to write a paper on how I would reach those people with the gospel. I don't even remember what I said, but the point is Jesus has ransomed people from every tribe and nation. That means somehow the gospel is going to get to those people somehow people in that group are going to believe. Because in Revelation 7, we see this group of people from every tribe and nation around the throne worshiping. There's representatives from every tribe worshiping him, including that people. He's ransomed them. And then finally, so they worshiped him because he's slain, because he purchased men for God, and finally because he made them a kingdom of priests to God. Kingdom of priests, it comes from from Exodus 19 when God makes a covenant with Israel at Sinai. Um, It's a call back to what God said to Israel. It's again in Revelation, God is going to constantly connect the church with Israel. Um, They are the new Israel. Jew and Gentile have been brought together as one new man. So that's the first hymn. The second hymn is verse 11 and 12. Um Then I saw angels numbering thousands of thousands, crying out with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive. Notice how many things he gets. Power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, blessing. Seven, he gets seven things. That is, he gets all things because seven, again, is completion. Jesus is worthy. And he's worthy for the exact opposite reason that we count people as worthy. You know, we we give worth out based on accomplishment. If someone spends years and years of education to get a Ph.D., we say they deserve all these privileges, and they do. They put in a lot of hard work. Someone works hard at the same company for 40 years, we say they deserve special honors, and they do. But Jesus is worthy Not because he achieved something, but because he laid his life down. He was slain. Look at that verse 12. Worthy because he is slain. Jesus is worthy because he had all honor and glory and he laid it aside and laid down his life. Because of that, he deserves all things. And then the third hymn, it's verse 13 and 14. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, all of them fell down saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. All of creation sings this one. You notice the progression of these three hymns in chapter five, who sings the first one? The 24 elders. Who sings the second one? Well, thousands of thousands of angels. And who sings the third one? Every creature under heaven, it keeps getting louder. All of creation sings, it's the culmination. All of creation joins together to sing praise to Christ because he took the scroll, he took control of history. History is in his hand. History's not out of control. I know 2020 has felt like that, but it's not out of control. Jesus has it in his hand. The God of deism is a false God. God is not passively sitting by watching people suffer under the assault of rulers in the world, influenced by cosmic powers. he's, He's working in his world. 2020 has been a crazy year. We're all greatly exhausted from it. We're ready for some semblance of normal. Again, take hope that Jesus has history in his control. He's not the God of deism that steps back and waits for the top to finish spinning. He is the sovereign Lord of history and in control. God is always executing his plan for the ultimate defeat of evil, the plan to stop the devil and sin and death and COVID and wildfires and riots. It's all written on a scroll, and, and Jesus has that scroll in his hand. And it's just got to be finished being open. The one who is opening it is the worthy one he's the lamb and so we'll get into next time what's inside of that scroll that's chapter six and seven in the first few verses of chapter eight um, and so that'll be November 8th we're not going to meet November 1st we never have Sunday nights on homecoming day so um, so two weeks from now we'll look at the next we'll look at what the scroll says um, Do you have any questions about these two chapters before we finish? Okay, well, let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is in control of history. He is in control. It's not up to chance. It's not up to whoever is elected on on November 3rd. It's not up to cosmic... Powers that be of of the universe collapsing in on itself. It is in control of Jesus and we trust Him. Oh Lord, help us. Help us hold fast to Him, knowing that He's got history in His hand. And we wait for the day when He will complete history, when He will reveal Himself to all of us. We long for that day and we say, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Until then, Lord, help us to be faithful, to live out as His disciples in this world. Um, and follow him well. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. Have a-